Hello. So, today I wanted to do something a little bit different. Obviously, the last couple of times I've had guests on and interviews. But this one, I wanted to just do a solo podcast because, obviously, there was this murder in London that's just horrendous. And there seems to be a lot of talk of safety for women and about, you know, what changes need to be made and what, how women can be safer at nighttime on the streets. And this is actually something which I have a lot of skills in. I've taught self-defense in Germany, Belfast, Dublin. And even during the pandemic, I've been doing some stuff with my girlfriend and her sister, showing them the basics of self-defense. Now, Obviously, this is a podcast, so we are limited in what we can actually do without being in a room together. But what I can do is describe to you the particular attitude which I try to get through to people when I teach them. This attitude is quite unusual compared to normal day-to-day life. In normal day-to-day life, you know how things work. There's a predictability to it we can kind of assume that people are going to behave at least somewhat reasonably, which is actually a great luxury and is not always the case. It gets very different when you're talking about the world of combat. This is a murky area. Something that I've figured out through all my years of doing this is that there are, there's two worlds. There's the world that we inhabit, which is predictable, safe, and has its own set of rules. And then there's the world of nature and combat, which is a very different sort of beast. You could look at it as uh, two sets of rules, one for war and one for peace. And we live in a time that is so safe and so far removed from that natural world that when it rears its ugly head, you can be very shocked. And I think we are woefully underprepared for it. So hopefully this talk will at least give you some sort of understanding of what the threat is and what you can do to minimize your chances. So I always start speaking about this with anybody by explaining to them that there is no guarantees. There are some situations that you can end up in that you're already screwed. There's some situations that you can get in, particularly if you're a woman against a larger opponent, that by the time you actually get there, you're chances of making it through are severely diminished. So the most important thing is not fighting, it's preparation. It's three or four steps back where you actually lose the fight. It's paying attention to what you're doing in such a way that you minimize the chances of opening yourself up to become vulnerable to some sort of predator. And we will deal with the nature of those particular predators later and what their mindset is, and what they want, and how they carry about their evil, really, is the word for it. So, this is the basis of any time I'm teaching people self-defense. That it's not about fighting, it's not that you're going to get, you know, somebody's going to come running at you, and you're going to twist their pinky finger and roundhouse them in the face, and you're going to have somebody grabs you here, and you do this, and then you do that, and then you win the fight. That's not how this works. There's some situations that you end up in and you're already done for. So the real self-defense starts before you even get in the situation. It starts with knowing when times are dangerous. Obviously, this is nighttime. So 
it can happen in the daytime as well. I mean, there are plenty of terrible places that you're vulnerable 24 hours a day. But for the most part in our society, it is reasonably safe during the day, which is good. But nighttime, particularly for women, is a time when you're going to be, I mean, things are closed. It's more isolated. So the chances of a person being caught attacking another person are reduced. Many actual predators in the animal kingdom are optimized for nighttime because it is a layer of stealth on top of the normal functioning. So nighttime is really the high risk area. Now, predators of the sexual kind or any other are opportunists. So a lot of this is going to be about increasing the cost to the person attacking you. So how this works is situational awareness. It is that if you have to take a journey to somewhere that's risky, minimizing it by getting, say, I mean, the obvious one is getting a taxi. That's not always appropriate or that's not always, you know, what you want to do. And realistically, you should be able to walk around reasonably confident, but you need to be careful. You need to pay attention to your instincts. You need to be aware. And if there's what I would call black spots, which is a place where you're walking, there's going to be nobody else around. It's very isolated. You are in an unbelievable amount more danger in a place like that than you would be, say, if you're nearby to shops where you can go in, where you can get a, you can walk up and you can speak to somebody and there's at least a bit of human presence. These types of predators and psychopathic men thrive in isolation. They don't, the reason this type of behavior doesn't happen during the day as much is because people are watching and because there's consequences for your actions then. Um, if they think they can get away with it, they're much more likely to do it. And by it, I mean attacking you, trying to take either your property or your body. And the reality of these individuals is very extreme. There's not... That's, I mean, part of me kind of sneers a bit when you see all of these posts on Instagram and stuff saying, you know, men stop doing this, yada, yada. Imagine Ted Bundy reading that. Imagine Richard Ramirez, the night stalker, reading that. What do you think they're going to think about it? Do you think they're going to care? Do you think they're going to listen to your appeals? The reality is that there's about 2 to 3% of the male population that are psychopathic. I mean, psychopaths generally seem to come in two different varieties. Some seem to be biologically made, and others are basically young men that will have grown up in turbulent environments, drop out of society so they don't compete in socially acceptable modes of competition, and they have weak consciences, so they fall in with a bad friend group and they get corrupted because of it. Either one of these, you're talking about individuals with very little compassion, very aggressive. I mean, one of the things that I read was pointing, <laughs> it just seems like that, yeah, 90% of people that are in prison are male. Of course they are. Men are more aggressive than women. Men are much more dangerous physically than women because they're larger and they're much more prone to physical violence and our society punishes physical violence very heavily which is right because the state has a monopoly on violence for our society to function normally violence can't just be the the norm it has to be something that's 
outsourced to the to the people that are in charge, basically. That's a great protection to women. The, all of the evidence points to the fact that when society breaks down, danger to women increases. So in times of war, rape increases massively. In times of social unrest, as we are kind of having now, which is something to bear in mind, I mean, not everywhere necessarily, but during times of social unrest, violence to women increases because opportunists um, who might be harboring these fantasies or desires or whatever it is, uh, see it as a time when they can get away with enacting their plans on people. If you want to understand the mindset better of a, a serial rapist or a sexual assaulter, there's a documentary called Crumb, which you can watch. In it, one of the characters is a convicted sex offender. And you'll see very quickly the mindset that lies behind this type of people, um, which is very, very, very dangerous. But it's definitely well worth a watch. So as society breaks down, the danger to women increases more. We have relatively safe societies. It, it isn't like many other places in the world where, as a woman, you couldn't even leave the house on your own, which is horrendous. I mean, it's something, it's the mark of our a great progress in our societies that we have created that space for women to exist and to live their lives but you have to realize that it's not the norm in a lot of places and that there is a threat from a certain groups of men that will pursue them. And I mean, it would be amazing if you could somehow figure out a way of locking them all up. But the thing is, in our society, we have a presumption of innocence. So until somebody breaks the law, you can't just throw people in jail. So talking about this mindset, this attitude that you have to have, and the attitude is quite simple. It's that danger sets the pace, not you, okay? You have to realize that whenever you go out there, if you're on your own, you're in a dangerous place, you have to be aware. You have to be switched on because you're not the one that's going to start shit. You're not setting up the fight. The person that's attacking you is setting up the fight, okay? And this might be an ambush. This might come from nowhere. This might come with absolutely no warning. And I mean, you can train in martial arts and you can train all the technique in the world, but when that fear response hits you and it's come unexpectedly and you're off balance and things are chaotic, it's a very different kind of combat. It's what Tony Blower calls category four combat, um, non-consensual combat. And this is what happens when somebody attacks you unexpectedly. There are techniques that you can use. I mean, when I can actually teach self-defense classes, we can go through those. Learning the basics of striking is good. Learning the basics of, you know, where to punch, where you can actually do damage. And something I'll discuss now, which is very beneficial, is learning how to use your environment. This is something that's central to ninjutsu, in that whenever you're attacked, obviously, if you've managed to minimize the risk so that you're not in a place that's completely isolated, you have a much better chance of using your environment to increase the cost to your attacker. So that would be something like walking out into the middle of the road and stopping cars. Now, that's not something that this guy is going to expect you to do. If a guy is attacking you, he's expecting you to go to freeze like an animal that he can just take you off, maybe a little bit of a fight, but they're not anticipating something like that. 
To go into the middle of the street and stop traffic increases the cost. This is something that you really need to, that's central to this attitude, is you got to survive at all costs in this situation. And this might even only be a couple of seconds long, but in that space, a couple of seconds can be like an eternity. So having this drilled into your head so that you can unconsciously do it like that is a, a very important um, response. And your body is hardwired for this stuff. I mean, human beings have been fighting for a long time. The guy, Tony Blair, who I just mentioned, who has the uh, sphere system, is he's essentially, his philosophy is that you can weaponize the human flinch response. So people who are, have never trained in their lives have a flinch response that you'll see if somebody goes through the window of a car, they'll always have all these abrasions to the outside of the arm because immediately the arms go up. Um, it's just a natural response to something that's coming, an object coming at you or an unexpected uh, stimulus. So his system is using that quick response flinch into a sort of strike. It's very clever. You can find it on YouTube. Very simple. Um, obviously, with in ninjutsu, we do a similar sort of thing, but it would be with a guard or to uh, strike back. But obviously, easy to plan these things, very hard to do when somebody attacks you, okay? But the important point here is that your body has natural responses to try and fend off attackers you have this built-in threat detection system. This is why you're scared of the dark. This is why in your room and stuff, you'll start to imagine things like coats or wardrobes as objects and monsters because your brain is always searching with this threat detection system to find patterns and predators that will be of threat to you. And it's a constant process that's going on in your mind and at night, particularly, it's very active because obviously you can see less. So you're constantly projecting danger everywhere because you're more exposed, which you can use um, to your advantage. But it does involve trusting your instincts. Um, I think for a lot of women, there's always a sort of conflict with the instincts that you don't want to be, maybe you don't want to be rude, you don't want to offend somebody, you don't want to kind of... Um, or even just to reveal yourself as being suspicious of them or worried. So you can tend to ignore your instincts, but your instincts are your body saying to you, look, something's not right. It's doing calculations all the time that your conscious mind aren't privy to. So reconnecting with those instincts, particularly in times when you're at risk, um, is very important. They, they will tell you what's right and what's not right. And when you get the feeling that it's not right, you have to act. You can't second guess yourself because it might be the difference between being killed and not being killed. And so I've studied cases of women escaping from attackers. There isn't a massive correlation. It depends very much on the circumstance, um, how it goes down, if they have a weapon. A, a lot of it seems to be a struggle. Um, initially getting away and then being able to attract attention. The, a couple of interesting cases was that uh, one woman was, the man broke into her house and had a lead pipe and was, I think he struck her with it. And then she said to him, basically, I'll do whatever you want. I know it was that he grabbed her and then he, she said, I'll do whatever you want if you let go of me. He let go of her and then she managed to climb through the window. 
There was another one of that where a woman, a, a guy broke into her house and the woman offered to make him a drink. And then when she went to make him a drink, she ran away. So it was a very unconventional ways of getting out of these situations. But it always seemed to be that the woman was trusting her instincts. Um, the goal was survival, of course, to get out of the situation as, as best as possible. The Yeah, the threat to women is really no joke. It It's very bad. And you have these asocial motherfuckers that just, there's no law with them. And there's, can't mess around. You just never play games with your own safety. You know what I mean? If it's too close, it's too close. That's it. You don't mess around. No, no Mrs. Nice Guy. And when they push it too far, that's it. You got to protect yourself first and foremost. Um, one trick to overcoming fear in that situation, um, because fear is definitely going to be a factor, is to focus on what you can do to your opponent, not what your opponent can do to you. So you're paying attention to how you can attack them rather than what they can attack you with. So you got to remember, even though there is an imbalance between men and women in combat, uh, men have the same weak points, uh, more weak points as well in different areas, if you catch my drift. But um, there is a points like the eyes, the throat, um, the lower regions, and um, below the floating ribs where you'd hit the liver, uh, solar plexus. If you want to knock somebody out, you have to hit the jaw in order to rattle the brainstem. Um, that can also be done quite easily if a person's coming towards you and you immediately stop their motion with punch or a headbutt and then the brain ricochets in the skull. That could give you enough time. This is all more stuff that you'd have to do in person through drills, which is something that I will do with self-defense. But maybe just to give you some ideas um, of what to think about. There is a lot of resources online. There's a lot of bullshit online as well which is completely impractical and useless if you're going to go anywhere i would say tony blower and tim kennedy sheepdog response is very good as well there's another guy i think it's tim larkin he's pretty decent also um sometimes you know bad advice can be worse than no advice it's better to be ill-informed than misinformed and taught a bunch of bullshit that's not going to benefit you at all. Something which I've been meaning to research more is women who have survived serial killers. You will oftentimes hear this in stories, particularly with law enforcement and stuff like that, where you'll have a gut sensation, a kind of, you know, a perception that things aren't right. Something's going to happen. I don't know what this is. That's your best friend when it comes to fighting. That's really the system. That threat detection system is what you use to predict what's going to happen because you're your rational mind is going to be reeling. There's going to be loads of thoughts going through your head. Your hair stands up on end. You get a big hit of adrenaline. You're not, you're not going to be thinking consciously. You're in that animal mode. So you have to learn to embrace those instincts in order to survive. So just on the topic of using your environment, one thing that I'd always advise whenever I'm speaking to women about this particular topic is... Something as innocuous as you realize somebody's following you. What do you do? I mean, there's limited options. Do you run? Do you hide? Do you call the police? One thing that you can do is 
if you've set it up properly so that you're in an area with things that are open, you can walk into a shop, you can buy a hot cup of tea. You now have a weapon that you can throw into somebody's face. This might seem a bit obtuse or a bit unusual to you, but the whole of this philosophy is giving yourself every advantage possible. So anything that you can use to level the playing field, even if it's as simple as having a hairspray bottle in your bag, hairspray that you could spray into somebody's face, you can hit them with the side of it as a blunt object, uh, a sharp comb, which can be into the eye or into the side of the neck. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's illegal for me to even be advising these things, but when it comes to self-defense and it's you or the attacker, all rules go out the window. It comes down to it that it's, it's very much you have to do whatever it is that you need to survive. And most of you will never end up in these situations. It won't happen to 90% of people. But if you are in that couple of percent that end up in this situation, this might save your life. This might be the difference between ending up as somebody's victim and escaping. And I think a lot of women, I think, struggle to understand the mind of a corrupt male. These guys aren't the same as normal guys. They're not the same thing. They're not different in kind, but they're different in degree. They're different in degree. I mean, you look at, you might have seen the Night Stalker documentary on Netflix with Richard Ramirez. Probably the most evil looking motherfucker you've ever seen in your life. Those black shark-like eyes. Just looks like the devil himself. And there's a lot of them, but they are, they're completely callous. It could be difficult if you're a compassionate person to imagine what it's like to be a creature completely devoid of compassion. It's very different. It's, you can think about it like a feral animal might be the best way. Um, And I mean, the stories oftentimes of these people are terrible and that there's been awful things that got them there. But I think if you allow evil into your heart, there's other things that control you rather than yourself. It's very interesting. At the start of that Richard Ramirez documentary, there's a, he's being interviewed in prison and they're asking him, you know, why he did it, why he killed 40 people. And he was raping children and raping old women and just every evil thing that you could possibly do. He seemed to just go out of his way to do. And his explanation was that there's a bad side to human nature. And he said, I'm on that side. That's very interesting. There is evil in every single person. The reality is how you deal with it. And a monster like that has allowed themselves to brood for a long time. Has allowed the, you would call it, I mean, the, has allowed the sin really into their, into their hearts. And they've lost, maybe there was a person at one point that could have stood up against it. Or that did stand up against it but they've gone too far and they've let go of the control of themselves. So being able to reason with a person like that, being able to, you know, expect them to have some sort of understanding or some sort of compassion for you is very, very misguided. And it would be a, a mistake to view them as anything other than incredibly dangerous. Everybody's obsessed with this danger as well in our society. That's why everybody watches serial killer documentaries all the time. That's why you can't take your eyes away when you're watching these things about Ted Bundy and about all these other horrendous murders because 
what your mind's actually trying to do is map out the unknown. You're trying to map out these predators so that you can avoid becoming victims of them. With chimpanzees, if they see a snake, a snake is a big predator for chimpanzees. It would kill a lot of them. But what they will do is they'll actually freeze and watch it. Even though they're in so much danger from it, they can't take their eyes off it because what they're trying to do in their mind is to map it out so they can predict its behavior. We do the same thing with serial killers, with people who have become evil. We're obsessed with it because we're trying to figure out what it is so we can avoid becoming its victim. Now, why does this danger have to exist? The whole point, basically, of the reclaim the night thing is that women should be safe at night. And I think that's completely reasonable. And for the most part, women are. But the problem is the danger is permanent. There is no way short of locking everybody up in their houses to live in cubes for the rest of their life, watched by security cameras for 24 hours, of completely getting rid of that danger. And it is minimized. I mean, we live in safer societies than have ever been before. There's plenty of places in the world that you can go and you're, I mean, you would last 20 minutes before you're kidnapped and killed or ransomed off. So, I mean, it's not, not as bad as it could be. But if you're used to living in this society and you have certain expectations of things, when you're confronted with something like this fucking guy that killed that poor woman, and you think, why? And you think, what is this? This is, obviously it's barbaric and it's monstrous and it's wrong and it's something that should be punished as heavily something can be punished. It's, the problem is, it's a part of human beings and it's not something that's ever going to go away. So the only option is to be prepared for it. The only option is to actually um, live your life in such a way that you have an awareness that this can happen. Now, should you live your life in fear all the time? Should you be terrified and never go outside? Of course not. But it, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing to realize that safety is not the norm. Danger is the norm. That is the human reality. And the safety that we are afforded are, is a result of our social systems. An interesting thing to point out here is that chimpanzees have very little ability to inhibit aggression. Chimpanzee is our closest living relative that we separated from about four to six million years ago. If chimpanzees uh, run into another troop of chimpanzees, they will immediately try and tear them to pieces. There's no, there's no sort of restraint or um, inhibition at all. It's the same with when they're hunting and they eat colobus monkeys. I mean, these monkeys are little small things. They're kind of cute. They kind of look like babies. Chimpanzees just rip them limb from limb, tear them apart, eat them. They don't care. Um, it doesn't matter to them. But when chimps are fighting with one another in their troops, it's very upsetting to all of the other members of the troop. And so what they'll do instead is they won't be as vicious. They'll inhibit their aggression. So it's... Not that they don't have the ability to inhibit their aggression. It's actually the social group that inhibits their aggression for them because obviously they need to fit into the hierarchy and they need to have a role within the society. So a lot of these kind of rapists and predators are men that will have dropped out of society or that will be not within the normal food chain. They are predators. And if you're I mean, if you're in a strange country, if you're in a different country, the risks are increased even more because 
you would be um, outside of, say, the local social hierarchy. So you're seen as human beings are quite tribal creatures. Our morality is very much conditioned by the social situation that we're in. Not that it's, I mean, it's biologically instantiated, but we do have the ability to create moral circles of people we care about and people outside of that can become objects very easily. Um, and the, the, basically the core, the mindset of these psychopathic men is a, a radical solipsism. They can't see anybody else outside of themselves. They don't care about human beings. When you see in those serial killer documentaries and they have these black shark-like eyes, there's nothing in there that's got any sympathy for you. It's um, you're dealing with a, a a predator through and through, and and these individuals themselves have very little control over. It. You'll see when they go on killing sprees and things like that, it tends to unravel and it tends to get worse. I mean, there is some that seem to have a certain amount of control over, it, but generally it's in a frenzy and it builds more and more as these aggressive impulses um take over them. And the scary thing is that that used to be the norm. I found that watching that Ramirez documentary, and I kind of, you know, he's the, the, the monster of monsters in the modern world. But hundreds of years ago, you'd have gangs of people like that that would indiscriminately kill, murder, rape. And it was only people banding together to create something like law that stopped. It's a very scary thing to think about that it's... Um, that there is that capacity for evil in human beings. But if you study history, you'll see it very clearly. I mean, it's everywhere. It's, it's really the, the badness is the norm rather than the exception, really. The exception is the peaceful and safe society. But this, I suppose this philosophy of the danger sets the pace. There's a lot of shoulds being thrown around at the moment. It should be safe. Um, it should be okay for women to go out at night. And on a, a, an ideal level, I agree with that completely. But the problem is you don't set the pace. The danger sets the pace. So you'll see in the Yorkshire Ripper documentary on Netflix, there's, there was a woman um, who was out at the pub with her friends at the height of the Yorkshire Ripper um, during his killing spree of people. And... They'd obviously been warned a lot and there was a lot of fear mongering and people were kind of going, ah, yeah, whatever. And instead of getting the bus home with her friends, she said, look, I'm going to walk home. She said, I don't want to be, you know, held back. I don't want to be kept inside. This is, you know, I should be able to walk around and do whatever I want. And while she was walking home, he snuck up behind her and hit her with a hammer. And luckily she didn't die. But the basis of self-defense is realizing that the danger is real and taking appropriate steps to minimize it. That involves planning ahead. That involves knowing how you're getting to and from somewhere. It also involves not getting so drunk that you're an easy target that can just be picked up off the street and taken somewhere. And, I mean, this doesn't mean that I I wish that this wasn't the case. I, I do more than anything wish that this didn't exist. But... The problem is the only way you can be prepared for the level of risk is if you're aware of its existence. There's no point denying the dangers that certain men possess to women. 
because if you think that there's going to be a day that that can be, we can wave a magic wand and that disappears completely, then I don't think you fully grasp the gravity of what goes on in some human beings. So we've covered things like planning ahead, strategizing. Most fights are lost three or four steps before you actually get into the fight. So planning ahead, making preparations so that you're not going to be in, uh, heavily exposed, um, bringing things with you, having people knowing where you're going. Um, something I would always do would be, you know, if Anna comes over to my house, I'd always make sure to walk her home. And that's not because she can't handle herself or she couldn't, you know, or that she wouldn't be safe or anything. It's just as a matter of precaution. Um, and I don't, to be honest, I don't think we live in a society that's dangerous to women a hundred percent of the time at all. I think for the most part, most people are, that it is very safe, but there is an undercurrent that you just can't mess around with, to be honest. So preparing yourself for those situations ahead of time, um, not taking any chances and then Something like, if, if this was in person, obviously we would run through techniques, some situations. Um, it does go out the window. If you want to know what it's like to get in a fight, if you've never been in a fight, go down and do 50 push-ups. If you do 50 push-ups really fast, when you stand up, that's what your body will feel like just before you get in a fight. Um, slightly queasy, slightly um, elevated heart rate, pounding, um, raise hairs in the skin. It's... An important thing to know is that that's your body preparing to do crazy shit. And you'd be surprised. You hear all these stories of, you know, women lifting cars off of babies and all sorts of things. The human body is capable of some pretty impressive shit. Um, so having that trust in your body to be uh, used as a weapon that you can combat, I suppose, that you can trust to have your, your best interests of survival at heart. Yeah, then I would recommend investing probably in Tony Blower's spear system where he weaponizes the flinch response. That's kind of, that seems to be the best way of at least harnessing a, a knee-jerk reaction that's not conscious because a lot of techniques and a lot of training focuses on teaching you things while you're conscious. And if you end up in a situation like this, you're not going to be conscious it's not going to be something that you have time to think about so next step is using your environment going out into the middle of the road stopping cars and um, going into a shop my dad would always give the example go into a hardware store and buy a hammer walk in buy a scalding hot tea take the lid off you know be willing to use your environment do you have a bag on your back is it something that you can swing at somebody you know People always do the keys between the knuckles thing. Don't do that. You'll just make an absolute mess of your own hand and it won't actually do anything. There are obviously strikes can be very useful, but really what you want to do is use your environment, you know, getting off angle. So if you do strike them immediately getting off angle, if they can't see, so they're going to lunge for you. This is all stuff I will do in self-defense classes. If you're interested in developing this stuff more, boxing can be very useful for it as well. Or, um, I don't really jujitsu for street fighting, especially if it's a woman against a man. The difference in strength can be quite frightening. If you're not really aware of it, I mean, you can wrestle with one of your male friends and ask them to attack you properly. And you'll see very quickly the difference in strength is quite severe. But 
there are ways that you can learn, obviously, to um, overcome those limitations. But the best part of self-defense is that if you're prepared and you put this into action, it means you don't have to get there. You don't have to do that bit. That's really, that's what this is all about. It's about avoiding that combat situation, which is very risky and can go either way. Yeah, I think every time something like this happens, it's it's a big realization for people that there is a threat and there is a threat to women always, constantly. It's something I always, with all the women in my life, I always try and, you know, just having been a person that obviously was, when I was younger, would have been a bit more um, sheltered and then going into combat and having to deal with those aggressive impulses with actually, you know, life or death fighting situations, you realize what underlies the civility of everyday life. And it's not something you are necessarily exposed to a lot, but it is there and it is the the fundamental reality. The fundamental reality is nature and nature is very brutal. So making sure to be aware of the danger and not to get caught up with any of the narratives that are going on at the moment that you can just do whatever you want and that it'll be fine. I hate to think that some young woman would become the victim of some fucking monster because of that, because it's so unnecessary and awareness is really the fundamental skill of self-defense. As Sun Tzu says, the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Oh, wow. Wasn't that really great? I don't actually know if this is a pre-recorded message, but do you want to support us? Do you want to help the podcast grow and be able to do more stuff and get more awesome guests and more equipment and do loads of cool sound effects like this? Oh, we can't actually because we don't have enough money yet. So go and leave a donation now at the Buy Me A Coffee page. Kick in a few bucks. Doesn't have to be anything too fancy. And let's get super rich off podcasting and I can live in a mansion in Los Angeles. All right. Appreciate it. Boom. Thank you.